Welcome back, everyone, to Everyday Holiness, a Faith in D podcast. This is, again, your host, Dan Allen, Associate Director of Spirituality and Service. And if you're new to the podcast, we are here talking with members of the Notre Dame family and understanding their own paths of discernment, vocations, and exploring the universal call to holiness as it plays out in particular lives and stories. I'm really pleased to be joined this week by Connell Fagan. Connell is a senior here at the university, was the leprechaun, actually, in the fall. So we'll certainly get into that. But obviously, there's a lot more going on in his life as he rounds out his year and his time at Notre Dame. So, Connell, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm super excited to get the talk today. So, Great. So we often begin at, with childhood. Tell us about where you grew up and what that was like. Yeah, for sure. So um, I grew up in Derry, Northern Ireland. So people always sort of get confused by the accent and where that's at at the minute. But yeah, I have two brothers and a sister, um, all of whom are older than me as well. So growing up in Northern Ireland, it's definitely a little bit different than Notre Dame as well. Um, I always joke that this is like home away from home in some ways. <laughs> but, you know, there's definitely a lot of challenges growing up as well. And yeah, my mom and dad always have been huge influences on me in my life as well. And, and a huge part of that growing up too was was the faith element too. You know, growing up in a Catholic household as well, in some ways coming to Notre Dame seemed like a natural fit in a, in a lot of ways. But, you know, back home for, for I'm sure many people that listen to this sort of have heard about, you know, the the challenge in times in, in Northern Ireland and sort of the relationship between the Catholic and Protestant communities there and, and how that plays out as well. So that was always something that, that really impacted me growing up in a lot of ways and, and how I viewed faith as well. So I think growing up back home, it definitely presented its, its, its fair amount of challenges, but super glad that I've been able to come to Notre Dame and sort of continue to grow uh, in faith. So it's, I think we all have our families of origin and our faith of origin, but there's that realization at some point that, oh, not everyone is Catholic or not everyone is Christian or believes what I believe. And how do I kind of make sense of that? Was that accelerated for you? Uh, obviously, it's a Christian context, but in this you know conflict between Catholics and Protestant and even the sometimes violent history of that, how did you make sense of that as a, as a child? Yeah, you know, I, I think in some ways it's challenging because I, I think what you're exposed to as, as a young kid can heavily influence how you view things in the world. And, I, and I'm very blessed in the sense of the family environment, which I grew up in, you know, there was never any animosity towards people who identified other as Catholic. And I think that's something I've, I've been very grounded in as well. But also in some sense, too, there's that sort of questioning, you know, and trying to understand something beyond just what you believe as well. And honestly, it wasn't until I came to Notre Dame that I really felt like, I was in a place or a position and able to do that because I think that's one of the challenges is when you're continuously find yourself in the same environment trying to stretch yourself beyond that can be challenging so sometimes it's important you know to step outside of that comfort zone in some ways and, and I think you know even looking now and where the situation is back home you know obviously things have improved but you know recent times have shown that there's the potential for violence to kick off again and you know, I, I think what it comes down to at the end of the day is loving your brother and sister as much as you can, whether they are identified as Christian or other as well. So it's definitely um, been an interesting journey, but I'm, I'm sure there's definitely going to be a lot more growth as, as we grow. So, Yeah, I, I've only had the chance to visit Northern Ireland once, and it, it felt tense, I guess, as, as an American coming to that context. It felt more tense. And it's not only the Catholic-Protestant, but also the Irish-British-Great Britain debate about unionist or nationalist 
Can you tell the audience a bit about that and your experience of that as it related to living in Derry? Yeah, for sure. You know, it, it's one of those things that it continues to, to bring up questions, particularly in the wake of Brexit as well. And, and this year marks the 23rd anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement too. So, you know, I, I think it's going to continue to unravel over over the next few years as well as, as we move forward. And like a very interesting political time, you know, studying political science and peace studies as well. People say, well, it was a perfect fit for coming from Northern <laughs> Ireland. But I, I think that's, you know, growing up, I, I think we're in a generation, you know, they talk a lot about the, the youth as the, the post-Good Friday Agreement generation that of sort of not knowing that direct violence that would happen day in, day out that my parents would have experienced. And I think in some ways that that's been a huge blessing. But it's always, you know, it's always interesting when you, when you look at some kids who have been sort of, you know, taught the experiences that their parents have lived in some way, and that has continued to sort of manifest in some of the actions of some younger people as well. But I think in a lot of ways, like what it comes down to is there's a root cause of poverty and a lot of a lot of homes, and I think that's a, a, the cause for a lot of the issues as well. And, and maybe in some cases, the, the sort of the unwillingness to listen to the other side, and even that term of the other side sort of connotates this like us versus them mentality. And I, and I think that's one of the things is, to be able to try and look as a collective, and you know, and it's one of those things when you when you have a national anthem that God save the Queen of, of Northern Ireland, like a lot of people don't acknowledge that from sure. the, from from many nationalist <laughs> communities as well. So, I think it's going to continue to be a challenge, but I think in a lot of ways it it offers a really unique perspective that, especially at my time at Notre Dame as well, like being able to ask other questions that, that it's not just set in stone and, and being able to say, well, actually I see a different perspective than what maybe some other people here who grew up in in pretty comfortable environment. Mm-hmm. environments that, that they didn't necessarily have that conflicted religious upbringing so yeah so it, it's definitely going to continue to be a challenge but i think it's something that definitely trying to grow into more and more and definitely ask more of those um, bigger questions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well thank you you mentioned that your catholic faith was really important to you and i'm sure education as well the fact that you uh, were able to come here to notre dame can you tell us some about what your parents and family imparted to you both in terms of faith and education? Yeah, so growing up, you know, uh, I grew up in a Catholic community and, and Derry, the, my hometown, is, is predominantly Catholic and I think a lot of ways that sort of was instilled from birth as well as that environment that you brought up in. The parish community back home is so strong and I think that's that is one of the, the biggest differences I've noticed between here and back home is in some ways the American society seems more individualistic and I think whereas back home it's very communal and very parochial in a lot of ways. So I think growing up in that environment, you know, my parish was always really strong, you know, this term of cradle Catholic growing up in that environment, you know, I was always the altar server, I sang the choir, did the reading, so a pretty, you know, standard Catholic experience <laughs> in some ways, and, and, you know, going to Catholic primary school and then transitioning to Catholic secondary school, so it was always a huge part of my formation growing up as well, but my dad influenced a lot of my Catholic faith growing up, and I think that's that's one of the things where I had those foundations, um, and, you know, I, I always remember the time like you know he would make us start praying the rosary and and i wouldn't want to because i was eight years old or something like that and i could probably pray it better than any other eight-year-old out there but you know i I don't think understanding the significance in in some ways and you know it's really interesting because i think my dad was a lot older as well so there definitely was a multi-generational approach to catholicism that maybe in some ways that i didn't necessarily understand and I think in where I stand now at the minute is, is it's so much so much emphasis has to be on, you know, walk, living out the gospel. And I think, you know, at the end of the Mass, when the priest says, go and announce the gospel of the Lord, like, mm-hmm. I think that for me is one of the most powerful pieces of the Mass, because I think in a lot of ways, 
by that point, some people may have zoned out of mass and thinking, okay, like <laughs> or, what or left, yeah, even. <laughs> you know. And and I think that's that's one of the things for me that continues to resonate with me is uh, is how I'm going to be able to live out that and 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 walk the walk that, yeah. that Jesus calls us to live. But you know, it's been challenging as well because. Um, my dad actually, um, my dad actually passed away my freshman year of college. Mm, um, sorry to hear that. And he was a lot. There's a 27 year gap between my mom and my dad, so yeah. you know, not a not a typical household in some okay. ways. But I think that's something for me that at the time when he passed away freshman year as well, like my Catholic faith, it, it was it was the thing that was like that rock solid thing that I could rely on. And and again, I think that's one of those things that as we continue to go through life, it, it's we continue to have these questions. But when you have something that you're very much grinded in in a lot of ways it gives you that sort of solace and you know so that that was definitely come to Notre Dame I, I think in a lot of ways was definitely a challenging piece and, and continue to ask those questions of like you know the why me piece like why like is this the cross that I've been given in my life so yeah so it, it's definitely I think every single person has their own cross in some ways and, and I think for me that it definitely was a it was an interesting start to Notre Dame but yeah, yeah. I'm sure well I'll certainly ask more about that as we get to that point your experience of Irish education northern in Northern Ireland, what was that like, and how is that different from an American model? Yeah, for sure. So we, we have seven years of primary school and seven years of secondary school. So, you know, it's really interesting because, I, as I mentioned, you know, I went to school, like a Catholic high school um, or grammar school, as we call it, back home, that was very much founded in, in, in the Catholic tradition as well. You know, up until 2008, we had presidents of the school who were you know uh, who were people in the clergy and mm-hmm. and then that transition into delay people as well it was was always an interesting dynamic as well but i think that's something you know even growing up and, and taking religious education classes i think it was always an interesting dynamic because reflecting upon it now i always think well what did the non-catholic schools teach in their religious education classes mm-hmm. as well particularly when we come from the same society but have very divided lines like among that so I think that's something for me that it was always a part of my life growing up. And, and in some ways, I was always seen as, oh, if we need somebody to read at Mass, Connell's going to do it. Or we mm-hmm. need somebody to give a communion, Connell's going to do it. And, you know, it wasn't until I would probably say like the equivalent of like being a freshman in high school that I really started to to grow into that. Um, my dad would always tell me, it's like, oh, going to the oratory every day, you know, going and praying in the chapel every day. And I remember, you know, when I was younger, I was really embarrassed in some ways because I was like, well, other people aren't doing this. And, mm. and it's not something that I, like, if I do this, like, people are going to call me out on it or, like, mm-hmm. look at me weirdly. Mm-hmm. But I find myself, once I started going in every day or, or most days, like, I, I really find a sense of, of peace that came along with it. And as time went on, I really started to realize that, like, no, faith has to be something that is centered to my life because... I think it's a blessing to also have encountered faith from a young age as well. I think that's something like a lot of people look for in their life is that sense of belonging and purpose. And some people don't find that till later in their life as well. So having that was really a blessing as, as well, being able to experience that from a young age. Well, thanks for sharing that. I do think there is a sense that the more we get into our faith and become known as a person of faith and hey you're on this podcast so <laughs> so people are going to encounter you as that and you know I've had that that own experience in my life did you ever feel pressure as a young person about either becoming a priest or what whatever else you know that that kind of comes with like oh you're a young person who's interested in your faith this must be the way that you're headed 
Yeah, it's, it's funny you bring that up because I remember, so I played soccer, um, played youth national team back home, played at a pretty high level, but the one thing that was consistent in any team that I played would people always call me Father Fagan because they would, <laughs> they would always see me doing this stuff. And, and, you know, it's funny when I look back on it. Um, you know, because it, I, I went to Lourdes in 2016 with, with my high school and we went uh, for a pilgrimage there. And, you know, it was honestly the first time where I actually thought about becoming a priest. It never really come across my mind before. And that was like a place in which I was like, actually, this is it's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty special place and started to mm-hmm. contemplate it. And, you know, it's not really popped up since. But, it, you know, I think that in some ways is there's almost like a pressure to try and conform to the norm. And I think in some ways of like, back home there's a very big push of like this cultural identification of being catholic or protestant but not necessarily some ways practicing that and living in that out and i think being able to reach that deeper level and being able to like grow in that way i think is is something that is a really hard thing to do especially when the environment in which in which you uh, surround yourself as well may not necessarily conform to that and and i think and i don't think this is you know i don't think this is combined to northern ireland in some ways because of how the world is becoming more sort of, you know, it's it's focused on the world more so than following Christ as, a, as an individual. But I, I think it, it's definitely going to continue to be a challenge moving forward as well. I think there is some sort of division moving forward in how we see things of like being a, a, a person of faith versus a being, not being a person of faith. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see as we move forward, but it was, um, it's definitely something you've got to take a leap of faith in in some ways. So. Yeah. I did find that interesting that it was as much a political identity as a religious one. I got that sense more mm-hmm. in Northern Ireland, whereas, as I'm sure you've studied, in American politics, it's, you know, usually political party, mm-hmm. but there's Catholics, Protestants, other, you know, other people of other faith or no faith in both parties. So that just, that struck me as different, mm-hmm. you know, for, as, from an American perspective. So let's talk about soccer, because I think that's pretty interesting, the fact that you had some success in soccer mm-hmm. as a young person. What was that like, and, and, and what was important to you about sport? Yeah, I, I'm so blessed, because I, I started playing soccer when I was five or six, and I, and I always think back to this uh, this moment of there were two kids in my, in my class who both wanted me to join their, their respective teams. And I, I joined one team over the other team, and I always think, you know, what would have happened if I had went to the other <laughs> team instead? But you know, I, I was I, I, I'm so fortunate because the, the team that I joined, I really felt a part of that family, and I played for them for about ten years of my life before transitioning to the the team like Derry City FC, my hometown club. And you know, it, it's always funny just looking back and reflecting upon that of how much of my life that consumed at the time, you know. I would travel three times a week to Belfast, the capital, and, and train for, you know, 90 minutes and then jump on the So I would get home from school at 4 p.m., jump in the car, go to training, come back, and I wouldn't get back till 11. And then I'd end up being the perfectionist that I was at the time, trying to do my work when I got back because I didn't want to do it in the car. So I'd end up in bed at 2 a.m. for like mm. three nights a week. And, you know, in, in some ways, it's it, it became my life. And, you know, I, I, I'm so lucky that I got to represent Northern Ireland at a youth national team and play against the likes of Poland and Belgium and wow. all these top, top countries. But again, there in and of itself, it's you find yourself in a, in a, in a locker room full of people who are divided in their religion. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'll never forget our first international game. As I mentioned, the national anthem can sometimes cause controversy. And I remember our coach just saying this. He's like, I don't really care what you do, but just respect the national anthem. And, and that was something for us that I, I think really resonated because there were some people, you know, who really felt compelled to it, other people who didn't. And I was sort of neutral in that situation. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that even in sporting identity, I think in some ways, like, 
yes, it can be very divisive. Like, you know, we've seen that, but I, I see sport as something more of a unifier and has mm-hmm. the power to, to, to change lives. And something I'm super passionate about is continuing to push that, that mission and that, and that word forward. But also as well, just being able to like meet people of different cultures, meet people of different identities as well. And, and being able to have that as a huge part of my formation growing up is, is something I'm, I'll be really thankful of, you know? Yeah, I think it's a beautiful aspect of a locker room you know when it goes well is you know we're forged together and we're coming from different places but we're 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 working together towards this common goal and it it softens some of the edges mm-hmm. i think that that might divide people otherwise i also know though and i think we have this struggle in an american t- context as well as you know sports becoming a lifestyle almost a religion mm-hmm. you know for young people and sometimes really people having a hard time you know, it's like choose one or the other because yeah. sports can be all-consuming. How did you balance that as a young person who was interested in your faith but also obviously had quite a bit of talent in soccer? Yeah, you know, this one's really interesting because I, I sort of reflect on this, and I, I would always remember, I would always bless myself before a game. Like, it was always the thing that I had to do before a game, and then be like, if I don't do this, I'm not going to have a good game. And I, I think in a lot of ways it's, you know, it's an interesting parallel because I think in a lot of ways – I remember one of my coaches back home talked a lot about, a lot about this. He says, at the moment you stop enjoying something, there's no point doing it. There's not, don't do it just for the sake of doing it. Mm-hmm. And it really resonates with me as well because I, I, I think in a lot of ways, I've related a lot to that to faith in the sense of, you know, there's been times where it's been really difficult in faith. And, and you know, not to say that being a person of faith is all, you know, sunshine and rainbows, right. but I think in a lot of ways it, it, it has that joy that it can bring you. But I think at some points we have to take a step back and think, okay, like what's the next best step? And and for me at one point with soccer, it was saying, actually, I don't think pursuing this as a career is what I need to do. Like mm-hmm. I need to pivot in some ways. And sometimes it's the same in our faith as well, right? You know, we're, we, we can sometimes get into this routine of like, being a mass and saying the creed or something like that for example right it's very easy to get in this routine of saying mm-hmm. it but sometimes to say okay like maybe we need to actually think deeper about what we're doing and why we're doing it yeah and i think that's something for me that has really resonated with me as well and you know it'd be funny because i'd be away on a saturday playing on a really intense game and then saturday night i'll be on the altar saying mass or not saying mass rather right. but you know helping <laughs> right. helping out at mass in, in, in some way and i and i think that's something for me i i think what was challenging when I was younger was I tried to separate these identities of being at home versus being on the field versus being at school. And the more I think about this, the more I think, well, you know, when we look at the Trinity, it's like the three and one, right? And I think that's also how we should strive to be in some ways is, is mm-hmm. that three and one identity of our four or five, however many identities <laughs> right, yeah. that you have, but of being able to incorporate faith in your life and keep that at the center. And how can you live that out in, in different ways? And mm-hmm. Particularly, and it's something I think about more and more is, you know, if, if people were to encounter you for the first time, would they would they know you're a Christian or would mm-hmm. they know you're a Catholic and walk in that faith? So I try and challenge myself in that as well. But I think it's really interesting uh, parallel. So Yeah, well, and of course, some people are called to kind of these extremes, if you will, of monastic life or cloister mm-hmm. life, but most of us aren't. And yet we're still called to let that faith be incorporated into other aspects of our life, including, you know, how we treat people mm-hmm. <laughs> playing sport and, yeah. and in business or our careers, whatever the case may be. You mentioned that you chose to pivot away, mm-hmm. and I was that's where I was going to go because, boy, playing for uh, the national team, you must have been pretty good. So what, what was it that made you say, I don't think this is what I'm going to continue to pursue after high school? Yeah, you know, it was interesting because 
it was right around the time of um, when my dad's illness, my dad had Alzheimer's for seven years, so it was right around the time mm. when his condition started to decline that I, I felt the urge to, to step back and maybe fo- shift my focus in, in, in a different direction. And, you know, even coming to Notre Dame as well, I, I think that was one of those things that Coach Bobby Clark, uh, boss, as he's more affectionately known uh, around these parts, you know, he had reached out to me and says, hey, you know, come down and try for varsity, see how it goes. Um, and I was sort of in two minds about it because I was like, you know, I was at that point where I was like, well, I think I've committed myself to life beyond playing soccer as, and trying to pursue that at a higher level. And I went down and, you know, I had a great time. But again, that, that spark really wasn't there and, and sort of wanting to, to, to recognize that semi-retired is how I phrase myself <laughs> because if anybody ever asked me to play, I'm always going to go and play. Right. But uh, pursuing it at that higher level is why I just felt like for me, it's I love it and I, I did a pretty good job of it. You know, I was never the best player, but I always felt like I, I always, you know, put in as much effort as I could. And I'm realistic that I was probably never going to make it to the top top. So... I think in a lot of ways for me, it was a time to say, okay, like to reevaluate things and, and maybe pivot in a different direction and sort of thinking about, you know, how do I want to have my Notre Dame experience? And obviously with Leprechaun, it's sort of, you know, it, it definitely transitioned in a different direction and not a, a direction I expected, nor did my coaches <laughs> expect back home. But I, I think that it turned out pretty well. But, you know, the lessons I learned growing up, the skills I developed, I, I, I was really uh, I was really happy to have. And, and being able to, you know, pass those on to younger generations who you through coaching and, and things like that has been has been a real blessing. So we, we had Father Pete McCormick on a couple seasons ago, and he talked about you're being a chaplain of the basketball team and every athlete has to comes to that point of this is kind of the end and I'm moving on with my life uh, sometimes it's through injury sometimes it's through personal choice other times it's through you know no one's going to pay me to play you know <laughs> beyond college or something but that can be hard I think that can be really hard when you've so much of your identity has been built around that so it sounds like you had a it was helpful that you had these other aspects of yourself that you could really lean into mm-hmm. because and, and take the lessons from soccer and apply them in other areas yeah for sure and and you know and i think that's something as well like the identity piece just as you referenced to him I'm, I'm sure we'll get into leprechaun stuff as well but you know even as i came towards the end of the, the end of last semester start of this semester you know finish up my time as leprechaun and really thinking about like how do people define me and not in the sense of being you know, actively, you know, worrying about it, but more so in the sense of like, who do I want to become as an individual? And, you know, it's great. The leprechaun loved that position, but I was ready to leave that behind. And it's like, I always joke, it was the master season. And, you know, I was saying that, you know, people want the green jacket, but I was like, you know, I think it's my time to hang up the green jacket because <laughs> I think in a lot of ways for me, it's like I, I had the most incredible time doing it, but in some capacity as well, when this becomes a narrative of like, oh, you're Connell the Leprechaun, right. or Leprechaun as I was known at the time, right. you know, I think that sort of, some, I'd spoken to a pastor about this as well, and it says like, you know, your identity's in Christ, and, and to put something else before that, I think can sometimes warp your perception on things, and it really resonates with me and continues to resonate, and I think as I move forward in life, hopefully that continues to, you know, uh, be instilled within me, so. Yeah. So let's go to the decision to come to, to Notre Dame. One, that's a big leap to come to an American university, mm-hmm. and your dad was already sick at the time. How did you? How was that discernment for you to the decision to come to Notre Dame? Yeah, you know, it was um, it was interesting because when I when I reflect upon it, you know, I I really started to think about going to the U.S. when I was you know freshman sophomore in high school, and there were two kids from my high school who had who'd been to the U.S. before me, who had gone through a program that that helped kids apply to the U.S. and I, I was very much adamant that I, I wanted to go, and 
I'm one of those people that when you get your mind set on something, it's very hard to shift it. And, you know, in the sense of determination rather than a, than a fixed mindset. But I, I think for me, the decision was to do something different than what everyone else is doing. And I think because in a lot of ways, like I could have conformed to the, the norm of going to the same colleges or following on a different pathway. You know, and it's it's funny when I reflect too, because because back home at the end of your sophomore year in high school, people can choose to, to opt out of school and go to a vocational pathway. You know, like some technical college or something like sure. that. And part of me said to myself, well, maybe I could do that and, and put all my energies into soccer and really try and pursue that as a career. And I remember one of the teachers in school said to me, Connell, don't do it. Like you you've got you've got other talents, and so now I'm you know about to graduate from the University of Notre Dame. And you know, it's <laughs> it's funny how those decisions take place, but. I think for me, it was the ability to, to, to stretch myself and, and to, to realize a new opportunity that for a lot of people back home don't necessarily have that opportunity in a lot of ways. So having gone through the process of, of this program, trying to find the best fit college, I've split between here and UNC Chapel Hill, which awesome school. I fell in love with the place as well. But when I came here, it was the people that really made the difference. And I, I just felt really compelled to be at a place. And, you know, I always reflect on a, on a place that has faith as such a central component of, of the institution. And, you know, what, whatever faith background that is, whether you're Catholic or, or non-denominational or, or, you know, other other faith background, I think it's a place in which you're invited to embark on a spiritual journey because I, I think sometimes we can paint this perception that, you know, your trajectory when you come in here, it's very linear, but I, I just don't think it's like that in any capacity, but I think more so in, in, in the spiritual journey more so mm-hmm. than anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So. How would you say you've grown spiritually from when you first walked into the door till mm-hmm. till now? Yeah, you know, it, it's been interesting because I remember my my first um, my first weekend, welcome weekend. I met Brett Perkins from Campus Ministry, sure. at the <laughs> Campus Ministry hot dog tent, great location. <laughs> and I remember, uh, you know, I spoke with Brett, and he was like, "Hey, let's chat sometime." You know, I'd love to hear your story. And over the course of my time here, it's been this journey of, of trying to understand my faith better. And you know, we'd have like monthly meetings and, and sort of continue to grow in that way. And Obviously, with, you know, Father Ralph and Stads as well has been such a huge influence in my life. And Father Pete, as you mentioned, too, you know, all these people who have really had a profound difference in, in the way I view the world. And But as I mentioned, you know, coming in and, and as you mentioned, my father passed away, you know, November of my freshman year. It's, mm. it's not a typical start. And I think in a lot of ways it was like I jolted the system. Like I, I sort of knew that his condition was, uh, was um, declining around that time. But I think that's something for me it almost felt like. I don't know. It was a shock to the system in some ways because it's it's not your typical Notre Dame freshman experience of right. whatever that constitutes or whatever people perceive that to be. But you know, as I as I spent time, you know, going through college, I found myself with the opportunity to go to South Africa after my freshman year and, and Sydney after my sophomore year. And there, I encountered people who were non-denominational or all different faith backgrounds as well. And it and it's been such a journey of of asking the bigger questions you know nobody before I went to Cape Town nobody had ever asked me like why do you pray to saints or why do you receive communion because okay. it was the accepted thing that you just did it right. because it was the Catholic tradition and that's what you were brought up in but when people started asking me these questions it, it, it actually made me start thinking like well why do I actually believe this and, and you know over the past two and a half years it's been this constant grappling with these questions like where I see myself like what where do I see my relationship with Christ because I felt like growing up that wasn't necessarily emphasized a lot was the relationship with Christ or salvation and grace. It was very much like go to mass because, and I think in a lot of ways that is something I've been trying to like, you know, flesh out a lot more is like, okay, like why do, why do I believe what I believe? And again, I'm going to continue to have more questions. And I think as well as I encounter more people who have 
different perspectives on, on faith and, and, and that part of the world and how we walk that out, I think I'm going to continue to, to have more of those questions pop up. So. Yeah. That's what it's all about, right? This this journey of faith and helping, you know, taking taking ownership of our ourselves and reconciling it as we encounter others in the world. I sometimes say to people, Notre Dame is at its best in a in a crisis, and we'll talk about COVID later. But you had this personal crisis a few months in. You mentioned Father Ralph Haig, your rector at St. Edward's Hall, and other other people around. What was the Notre Dame response when your dad passed away, and did that help you through that time? Yeah, you know, it's something I'm so so thankful for, and I'll never forget to this day as well. But the Shin Enrichment Fund um, paid for me to fly back home and see my family around that time as well. And you know, when I came back, I just had this huge mountain of letters from from a ton of different people. And you know, it was a really interesting experience because I would say back home, people are very much like upfront. They're very frank about death. Like it's it's a very huge part of our culture. And just in that sense, you know, even when I, you know, my mom, like when we speak about these things, you know, going to the graveyard, going to the cemetery is a huge part of like our culture back home and, and having that connection with people. Whereas I find here in some ways, people were very much we're sort of hesitant to talk about the subject. And I, I think that's also been a huge learning experience as well. And, and sort of how Catholicism in different contexts can also differentiate as well. So, but the Notre Dame family in, in that way was just, um, was really special for me and, and continued to be that sort of solid foundation. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that in your personal experience. So you've chosen to study political science and peace studies Tell us more how you came to those decisions and what that's been like. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, it's interesting back home because I, I think that's one of the things that, that sort of strikes a, a difference between the U.S. college experience and, and the the, Amer- uh, the U.K. college experience is that back home you sort of have to decide what you want to study before you go in, whereas here there's a lot more flexibility in the sense of going into college and sort of finding your way into, into how you want to move forward with things. So I had an idea I wanted to something study something in the realm of, you know, international relations, global affairs, and, and political science sort of felt fit that mold. Um, and then when I came in, I, I, I went in and drew a peace studies class and just really fell in love with it. George Lopez has been my biggest mentor throughout, throughout college from an academic standpoint as well. So that for me was like an automatic fit. And, and it's been really cool because, as I mentioned, my, my internships that I've done in, in, in Cape Town and, and Sydney as well, they've been very much focused on the intersection of sport and social change. And that's the pathway in which I hope to, you know, pursue a career in, mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form. And being able to have those experiences, I think, has been a really nice intersection. Um, having the practical experience with the theory in, in the classroom as well. So it's been a really cool overlap between the two sort of theoretical side of things as well. So. That's great. I, I assume that those experiences were through your participation in the Hesburgh Yusko Scholars Program? Yeah, you're correct. Yeah. So and some of our audience may not be aware of that. So could you tell us some about that program? Yeah, for sure. So the Hesburgh Yusko Scholars Program is a merit-based um, scholarship program that has between, you know, it varies year by year, but my class, there's 14 scholars in, in, our, in our grade. And, and basically every summer we were given summer enrichment funding to go and, and participate in different projects around the world. Um, you know, they could be here in the U.S. or they can they can be abroad as well. So I was very fortunate after my freshman year, I went and worked with Ubuntu Football Academy in Cape Town, South Africa. Then after my sophomore year, I went and worked with Disability Sport Australia in Sydney. And then after my uh, junior year, I worked with Special Olympics International in, in Washington, D.C. as well. So the purpose of this program is to really try and develop 
transformational leadership skills as well. And I want however people define leadership, you know, it's up for debate how people want to do that. But I think that's been one of the biggest things is these experiences are very much asking the bigger questions as well. Similar to faith too, you know, you want to get to the root cause of things rather than just paint the surface. And I think in a lot of ways, it's really these experiences are, are learning experiences more so than trying to go in and solve the problems is really like identifying the problems and really saying, well, like where could potentially my role be in, in helping to accompany these people in, in, in solving maybe some of the issues that they're presented for them. So yeah, it's been, it's been a blast and the community has been incredible. And you know, it's sometimes I think I shouldn't even be there when I hear the other projects that people are doing, but <laughs> it's been a really cool adventure um, to see the growth of so many different people in the scholars program as well. So what have you found out about yourself and those experiences, especially in terms of what your contribution might be to the world? Yeah, I think in some ways, you know, it's it's challenging because I, I think when you go into these environments, it, it you can do this in two ways. You know, you can go to those places in which you it'll be comfortable and you know what you're going to expect. And there are other side of things you can also go into experiences that are completely foreign and completely different. And that for me, I always sort of err on that side because I think in a lot of ways to like to be comfortable, I think can stifle growth. And I, and I think that's something for me is like for college, it's been an opportunity to grow. And I think, you you know, <laughs> the age old saying like Rome wasn't built in a day, right? And I think it's the same with these issues as well. I think to go in and expect you're going to change something within, you know, two months or whatever it is, I think is, is, is very unrealistic. And I think that's the same in any environment in which we go to, I think. You know, I always say this, but you learn a lot more when you listen. That's why God gave you two years and only one month. Right. So, you know, and I think that's something for me that continues to resonate and will continue to resonate moving forward beyond my time at Notre Dame. So. Thanks. You talked about this aspect of daily prayer. This is something that your, your dad kind of instilled in you. You found that it was important. And even though you come to a place like Notre Dame, sometimes that can be hard because just the busyness can can get to you. Have you been able to hold on to some of those aspects of daily prayer and what's been important to you about that? Yeah, I, I think that's been one of the things that's been, it's definitely been up and down. It's like been a roller coaster in some ways because you know, there are times in your life where it feels like that, that season where it's very given, it's very fulfilling. And, and then there's other times where it's a very dry season where it's like, well, I've got 50,000 things in my, my Google calendar and I'm trying to <laughs> run to all these different meetings. And, you know, I think your priorities can shift in some ways, but especially over this course of the past year i've really tried to like think about like if you give god time he'll give you time and it's not it's not so much like a transactional relationship sure. but in a lot of ways it's like being able to still yourself in that presence and, and try and take time for like what is most important because i think is like as catholics to, of having that like fundamental belief that like our aim is to and eventually end up in the kingdom of heaven mm-hmm I think in a lot of ways it's like to, to neglect that in some ways almost is like, well, well, this is an opportunity in, in which you can grow. And I, and I think as well with mass and things like that too, it's like growing up, sometimes it felt like an obligation more so than like an opportunity to grow in your relationship and sort mm-hmm. of reframing that. So anytime I get, you know, I'll try and develop that relationship with Christ because I think in a lot of ways, sometimes our relationships can be a monologue of saying like, I need this or I want this and I, I need help with this yeah. um, rather than being like, okay, like what does God want for my life? And then being able to, to listen to that. So I think it's something I've tried to do is I, I love worship music. So I'll try and listen to worship music. Even if I, can't, you know, if I have a really hectic schedule, I'll like listen to worship music on the go. So I'm like doing a two in one in some way, you know, <laughs> but it's like continuing to let that filter in through me. So, yeah. Now you talked about mass in 
Derry in Northern Ireland in that context, and then coming to an American worship experience mm-hmm. and even more unique, the Notre Dame dorm mass. <laughs> a lot of people have a lot of affection for that, but realize that that's not the way it is elsewhere in, in parish life. What has been your experience of Catholicism in an American context and here at Notre Dame? Yeah, I, I feel like if there was, you know, if the Notre Dame experience could be transcended to the rest of the world, I feel like in some ways it would revive the Catholic faith because mm-hmm. it is it is very strong here. And, you know, I, I think it's it's one of those things that re- regardless of whether you're Catholic or not Catholic, I think the, the centrality of the mass experience here, I think is really powerful. Um, you know, one of my roommates, he, he's non-denominator, or he's Methodist and he's, continues to go to mass and has done since freshman year because he, it's, it's been a huge part of his life here mm-hmm. and being in that community I think it is so strong and powerful and that's something that I think is such a fundamental part of like the dorm life here as well it's been able to show up in your pajamas and nobody really cares you know <laughs> so but yeah it, it's it continues to, to transcend and obviously with COVID this year as well that's been a bit more of a challenge but trying to make the most of the situation in that way so yeah, those communal bonds are, are really lifelong. I can certainly say that as an alum and, and appreciate any chance that I get to go back to those chapels and, and have some of those memories. Now, this foray into cheerleading that eventually leads to the leprechaun, how did that come about? Yeah, so, you know, as, as I mentioned, sort of thinking about the transition away from soccer, and, you know, I would go to all the basketball games because when I visited UNC, they played against Duke and had that experience sure. in the UNC-Duke rivalry. <laughs> so basketball became a huge part of my life, not that I can play it at all. But, <laughs> but yeah, so I go to all the games, and I remember, like, the cheerleaders got really annoyed at me because they would always start the cheers before they did, and they were like, Who's, who is this good? But I remember one day my, my roommate said to me, hey, just, like, go up and speak to the leprechaun or whatever. So I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And... Um, so I went up and spoke to him and he's like, yeah, like just come down and like check it out sometime. And it was around the same time too that like my friends had got me like a onesie for Christmas. It was like a Notre Dame onesie. So they like <laughs> ended up, I started wearing that to all the games and stuff. And I went down and, and sort of went through the process. And when I saw people being thrown in the air, I was like, that's pretty cool. So I think for me, that was, it was still in an athletic environment, but it was a different sort of different experience where I was like ready for a new challenge. Like it was completely different than anything I'd experienced before but I felt like it was a good transition away that I was still in that athletic and sport environment, but I, I don't necessarily have the same focus that I did once before. So, mm-hmm. Was it a concern for you? Did you feel like, oh, I'm gonna be typecast because here I am from Northern Ireland and, and you know the fighting Irish and all that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because being the first Irish-born leprechaun at the university, there are obviously like a few eyebrows raised in that, but like at the <laughs> end of the day for me, like I did it because I love this place. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I love sport, like being able to go to all the events. And like, I think one of the, the, the greatest shames in some ways of being here is that I, I see my so many students that don't go to the sporting events. And like, you, you, like I have so many just incredible people that, you know, not just on the court or off, like, but more so off the court as well. And being able to see them use their gifts and talents, is, I think has been, a, has been a real blessing. So for me, it's just been a ton of fun being able to do it and just like being able to meet so many incredible people. and. Obviously, this year with COVID again, like not being able to have that fan interaction in some ways has been really tough. But for me, it's the experience. It's been the experience of a lifetime in a lot of ways, and I think it's a, it's a pretty good chapter to have in, in your life, you know. Yeah. And not too many people have had that experience. But yeah, it's it's been a really cool opportunity. Are there any highlights that you would share? I mean, just I can only imagine. I was I was a member of the marching band, yeah. so I got the chance to be down on the field, but not the one person, you know, dressed in the leprechaun outfit yeah. and all that. 
what what was it like yeah you know and it's it's been so many highs and lows you know when i look at you know something that stands out to me is that the 2019 women's uh basketball team in their national championship run looking for that back-to-back that yeah. didn't, ultimately didn't work out and I'll never forget being down in, in tampa you know that, that last few play and just trying to like soak in that environment that whole that whole run was just incredible and, and i think one of the blessings of that was you know we got to travel so we got to meet fans from across the country because a lot of people don't get the chance to come to notre dame sure. you know in some ways like this is a pilgrimage in itself to come to Notre Dame and and, and visit this place because it is it is so special. But you know, I, I met this family from New Mexico as well, my sophomore year that I've stayed in touch with, and they're going to come up for graduation. And you know, and it's oh, been so cool like see their kids grow and, and and throughout the course of time. But then on the flip side as well, you know, like I I met a fan who you know had terminal cancer and like only had like six months left to live, and wow. one of his one of his dreams was always to meet the leprechaun and come to the Notre Dame game. So. I think in a lot of ways, like also being able to have those moving experiences, I think has been has been really powerful for me, and and it just once again goes to show the like that this place is just so much bigger than an individual, and I think it's it what it represents is is so much more than any of us could ever describe, you know. So, yeah, it's a beautiful chance to bring people hope, and yep. sometimes it seems like, well, how could that be from a mascot? Yeah, you know, but that it really does. I mean, mm-hmm. you you talked about how. We're representing something more, and certainly we sometimes feel that at Faith ND that it's it's this whole expanse of people's experience of Notre Dame and faith here, and we're representing that in a mm-hmm. small way and, and yeah. helping to bring them hope. So I'm glad you got a chance to be a part of that. You mentioned though that you didn't want that to define you solely, mm-hmm. and I can certainly appreciate why that would be. Have there been any other really important moments in your Notre Dame experience that you think have helped shape you? Yeah, I think it's in the daily interactions, honestly. I, I think in a lot of ways, like when people look at my calendar, like you have like a different meeting with a different person every single day. And I'm like, yeah, because, you know, there's not too many places in the world where you can claim that, you know, there are some of the most brightest and most incredible people that, that you've ever met in your life. And I think being able to share those stories like i'm just a very relational person i feel like in a lot of ways so it's in those everyday conversations you know whether it's at north dining hall or you know in duncan student center just being able to like have those conversations and and go deeper than just in a lot of ways i feel like we've become accustomed to having these super superficial conversations these Mm -hmm. very surface level conversations of like oh how's it going good how are you good and it's just it doesn't really go anywhere and like being able to have those more, like, you know, deep-rooted conversations that really try and stretch you. And I think that, for me, has continued to be a defining piece throughout college as well. And and obviously COVID, again, you know, I, I sound like a broken record sometimes saying it, but it has impacted and it's been a huge part. You know, people say, well, you're the COVID class of 2021. And, wow. you know, and, and you know, it's true. But I think in some ways, it once again, shows importance to community. The fact we are here, you know, having spoken to other individuals who aren't are doing remote classes you know away from away from their campuses like you know i think we've been very fortunate to be in person this year for sure yeah it's certainly impacted us all and i think about the student experience and what that's been like you had the occasion of last year at this time everything shut down and we went fully remote and there's a lot of uncertainty and yet you know we made the decision to come back and it's been not without challenge, mm-hmm. but successful in the fact that we're still here and, and it looks like we're gonna finish out the year and there's some signs of hope. 
Any reflection on what that's been like from the student experience? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely been challenging because, you know, I, I really feel for the, the first-year students this year because they have not had a typical Notre Dame experience. In some ways, you know, it can only get better from where they <laughs> are, right. you know. So, I, I you know, I'm also excited for them too. But I think it's been really challenging because I think for a lot of people, you know, if they were in the position of having to make a decision whether to open a university or not, you know, it's a very difficult decision to make. And obviously coming back as well in the Central County region that's a difficult thing too you know between the medical professionals and local community and there's so many different sides to weigh up as well and i i think for us at the end of the day like i think we're grateful to be back as well but also it's important to be to recognize as well that the number of lives that have been lost during COVID as well and the fact we're, we're able to be here like we're so grateful of that opportunity as well so it's definitely been it's definitely been a different year but i, I think you know as the year has gone on it's it's definitely starting to feel a little bit more normal of what you know whatever normal is going to look like on right. the other side of this but yeah. the, the, the what we've been used to for the past three years or mm-hmm. two and a half years at least anyway so what do you think as a society and you can even take it to a global perspective certainly from where you come from and, and the places you visited what do you think we're going to learn from this pandemic you know in in some ways i i would really hope i would really hope that we once again value the importance of like being present with people because I think in a lot of ways like you know you look at social media and I have a love-hate relationship with social media but you know it can bring people together but it can also isolate a lot of people who sit in the exact same room with one another as well when people sit on their phone so I really hope you know as we sort of transition out of these like isolation periods of isolation and quarantine and lockdown that you know people are are actually wanting to spend time with individuals rather than you know trying to be on the screen like phones or behind the screens the whole time so I think that's something for me and, and also as well once again like the importance of community and like what it means to rally around your community particularly when times are tough too and and also that you know just trying to be grateful for every moment that we have because as you've seen you know i think start people were like well it only affects older people or affects this community or that community but in a lot of ways it's affected a lot of populations that may not necessarily have been considered as Mm -hmm. as you know uh, populations that were vulnerable to it so i think that's that's something for me that i i I hope people recognize is just to try and be as grateful as we can moving forward so i think probably the most common question but also maybe the most frustrating question for seniors as they round out their Notre Dame career is what's next but I'm going to ask it to you (laughs) (laughs) so this is really funny because you know I only got this sorted a few weeks ago but I'm going to be uh, working with JVC Northwest next year um, in Ashland Montana at St. Lambrea Indian School um, as a teaching assistant and I'm really excited for that so I'll be working on the elementary level so it's going to definitely be a different experience to be in a classroom with 18 to 22 year olds but for me, I think the next year is like very much going to be focused on again, like being present, like growing in, in faith and community, and, and being there with you know four or five other volunteers who are also taking this year of discernment and really trying to figure out you know what's next beyond this this year, but also trying to like live in community with with a population that has been discriminated against and 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 had extremely challenging times throughout their history as well mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i can't say i've had lived experiences of, of being in those communities but that's something for me it, it, again it's another opportunity to learn and, and, and be in community with other people as well so i'm really excited for it. it's i feel in some ways like ready for the next chapter beyond notre dame as well but obviously notre dame's going to come with me wherever i go so yeah what was it about Jesuit Volunteer Corps as opposed to other options that you thought, this this is the next step for me? Yeah, I, I, once again, like I, I think the focus on, on the community life, the spirituality, and, and that opportunity to, to do something that's 
sort of against the world in some ways because I, I think in a lot of ways, you know, I have a lot of friends who are going on and, and I'm working for consultant groups or, you know, working on Wall Street and, you know, that's great. And mm-hmm. if that's what they're called to do, that's then like go for it. Mm-hmm. But it, that, that for me is something that I didn't want to fall, so sort of fall prey to in the sense of like just following something for the sake of following it and, yeah. and trying to follow that purpose that, that I feel compelled to be. And, you know, I had applied to grad school, but the more as I went through the start of the semester, I started to realize, well, actually, I don't think this is the right next step. And I think there will be other opportunities that open up down the line as well. And I don't think it's a case of like, oh, you're not doing grad school now, then, okay, we're going to shut that door completely. You know, mm-hmm. I think like, I, I don't think God operates in a red light system. I think he's more like a green light saying, okay, well, like, we'll go through this door this time. And, you know, and I think yeah. that's like one of those things for me, I think has been something I've been very mindful of, you know, so... And as you think even to the years beyond that, do you have some sense of a few of the doors that you might walk through that JVC might help you discern what's going to be best? Yeah, I think for me at the end of the day, like I think I always joke with people, but almost like being a career volunteer because I think service for me is something that I I feel really compelled to and, and being with other people and you know as I've had these experiences in these other countries around the world, um you know the core has been sport and social change. So being able to have that as a centerpiece, I, I've been very blessed to have sport as a huge opportunity in my life and being able to share that with others. I think is is another really cool way of being able to spread Christ and, and, and through that. But yeah, for me, you know, I, I think we can plan as much as we want, but God's definitely got a different plan to So I think just being able to embrace whatever comes my way is, is going to be, it's going to be really exciting. So, yeah, I think that's a, a helpful approach for sure. We do always ask about holiness on the podcast because it's called everyday holiness and how people find it. Who have been some of the models of holiness for you in your life? Yeah, I think obviously my dad, you know, growing up, I, I think in some ways, you know, I, will I live my life differently to his? Yeah, probably in some ways. But I think the, the foundations of, of what he taught me from a faith perspective, I think, have always been rooted within me. I think that's that's been something like seeing his walk as well. But yeah, you know, there are just there's some people on this campus as well who I've met who just like emanate Christ. And, and that might sound like a very, you know, highfalutin statement but i you know there's just like like one of my friends mg like another friend aviva like we have there are different faith groups on campus that like you know really are just like the people who i meet in these faith groups are people who genuinely like have completely changed things because in a lot of ways it like it allows me to have dialogue with other individuals who, mm-hmm. who may not necessarily like back home like you couldn't put yourself in that same situation and i think that's something for me that has been a huge blessing is, is being able to find those people here. Um, I mean, the list is literally so long, I just like rattle all right. the names off, but then I'm <laughs> bound to leave somebody out. But right. I think that's something for me that in those moments, uh, I think has been one of the blessings of it. And again, it's it's not just people from the Catholic community, it's people from both sides of Christianity, but then also people who don't identify as Christian, who, you know, being able to share their perspectives and ask, you know, why do you think this and why do you believe what you believe? and in a place of like growth and meeting people where they're at. So that that for me, I think has always been a huge part of it as well. So, you know, I, I think trying to walk out Christ in every single day, you know, you just people who did, you just know they have joy in their life. And I, I think it's, it's very apparent when you see it, so. It certainly mirrors my own experience here, a place of inspiring people and invited dialogue uh, is, is kind of the norm. For you yourself, I mean, we're all works in progress, but how are you pursuing after holiness in your own life? Yeah, I, I think that piece of trying to find that, 
that prayer every day. I, I think that's something for me is like at the start of the day, I'll try and go to the Stead's Chapel and, and just take a moment to try and be present as well because I think that's one of those things. You know, I, I, I read this piece from Mother Teresa that talked about, you know, trying to let Jesus into your life every single day. Like he, he wants you to be with him every single day. And, and that I think has really struck me in a lot of ways because I think that's something it's like, yeah, you can go through life, but it's just going to make it a lot more difficult. Like Jesus never like, hey, it's going to be easy, but like sure. for him to be with you in those moments and continue to ask for support. You know, I I think in a lot of ways, you know, it's like we're going through a math. I just don't like math at all. But if you're going through a math problem, like <laughs> you just, you're not going to go through something and not ask for help. But mm-hmm. it's like, you know, life in some ways is more difficult than math. Uh, sometimes it feels the other way about yeah. But like, <laughs> I think that's one thing for me is like trying to, continue to grow that little bit every single day and and not seeing it as like an end point but more so like the continual growth every single day so and 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 in the daily interactions that we have as well you know like like what are the con- type of conversations you have and like are, are the conversations that are building you up or are the conversations that are pulling you down so yeah it's a very helpful perspective as you approach graduation and you think about all the people who have shaped you to mm-hmm. this point what do you think that's going to be like to share that moment of graduating from the University of Notre Dame? Yeah, I, it's something I, I, I feel, I always feel sort of like on my death in some ways, because when <laughs> I think about, um, there's a quote that I love, or a, a plaque that I love down at the grotto from uh, Thomas Dooley that talks about this of like, you know, he's lying in his hospital bed in Hong Kong and he talks about, you know, do, do people ever really realize what they have here and what's so special? Yeah. And, that for me is, you know, I love going down to the grotto late at night when there's like no one else really about and it's very quiet and peaceful and just being able to reflect of like the number of people who've been on this campus, the number of people who've gone through this place as well and to sort of be grateful of this opportunity and, and, and recognize that, yeah, you know, like four years have gone by so quickly, but also like, as I mentioned earlier, just trying to take Notre Dame with you as you go and really trying to spread the love of Notre Dame and God help all those who are going to be loving with me next year then they have to listen to me speak about Notre Dame the whole time and we're playing a football game on NBC and it's just you know I'll be like no I gotta watch this for four hours but you know so it just comes with the territory <laughs> sticks with you for sure well Connell this has been a wonderful conversation I am very inspired by you I asked you to be on the podcast not because you were the leprechaun but because you helped us a few years ago with a Lenten series we had and then actually it was during the pandemic we were shooting a mass in St. Ed's and, you know, it was it was the first time I'd been on campus in a long time and was kind of feeling the apprehension of, you know, what's going to happen? How's this going to be? Mm-hmm. And there you were. You came into the chapel and we're praying. And I was so impressed the fact that you, you stuck to this routine of daily prayer. And I think that really shines a light for a lot of people. And so I'm really pleased to share this aspect of your story and the fact that you're on this podcast, you know that there's going to be thousands of people praying for you as you go forward. So thanks for your witness, for your contribution to the university, and for coming on the podcast today. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Go Irish. Go Irish. Well, that concludes this episode of Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indeed podcast. If you'd like to subscribe to our daily gospel reflection, you're welcome to do so at Faith nd.edu slash sign up and we always encourage you to rate our podcast on the service of your choosing and share an episode with a family member or friend who you think might enjoy the conversation we've had here until next time you'll be in our prayers thanks so much mm-hmm.